welcome everybody to the Father, the Daughter, and the Holy Podcast. Join my father, Rabbi Avi Horowitz, and myself, Ayelet, as we discuss relevant and meaningful ideas and topics inspired by the weekly Torah portion. This podcast is not religiously exclusive. No matter what religion you practice, please feel free to join us as we glean timeless Torah wisdom to help us better navigate the world we live in today, or simply put, just to give us something to think about, because that's always really awesome. So let's get schmoozing. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode. Last week, we were talking about freedom, and this week, we are going to continue speaking about freedom. We've been delving into the past couple of weekly readings that all deal with the exodus of the Jewish people, and this is the last reading. So we're going to continue going into some unexplored questions and some extra things that we haven't really discussed or touched upon or maybe cleared up more. So this is going to be the wrap-up episode on freedom, which is a much more complicated concept than we think it is. So come join us, and uh, let's let's keep talking about freedom. Yeah, great. <laughs> great intro. And feel free to exercise your freedom and think about it in different ways. But we're going to try to paint a, a broad perspective here today that um, should end up complementing some of our previous episodes. So let's start with the following question that's really bothersome to anyone that reads the Bible, you know, the Torah account of the Exodus. The the late motif, probably even more than the late motif, is the idea of Pharaoh and, you know, by extension, his people's will, you know, their will. Towards the end of the story, it's you know, their ability to exercise their will, their free will, their freedom, seems to be seriously curtailed by God. God promises Moses, Moshe, he says to him, I'm going to harden his heart. And especially as we come to the end of the story, which is the story of the actual exodus, the physical exodus of Egypt, we find the the people of Israel there, you know, facing you know, being stuck between a rock and a hard place, so to speak, and they start freaking out a little. And God says to Moses, look, don't worry. The whole thing is planned. They're going to chase after you, and you're going to cross, and they're going to cross after you. I'm going to bring down the whole house on top of them, and they're all going to die. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about the splitting of the sea here, just by the way. Right, splitting of the Red Sea, so to speak. So... I say so to speak because there's a little bit of a difference of opinion exactly which sea it was, but the point is that what's bothersome is were Pharaoh and his people just like puppets for God's might? Like, how do you understand that? Like in the great scheme of things, what's the point? Is it just to use them as like tools so that people could say, wow, I guess all you know, arrows are pointing in the direction of this happening by God. So it must be like God is really, really super powerful. Is that the point? I mean, does, is, are, 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 uh, is Pharaoh and his people just being used as puppets just to be able to do this? How did it, how did we get here? You know what I'm saying? Like, is this the way it's supposed to be? I, on, on the outset, I would say not, right? Mm-hmm. We would say... Your, your question being, 
how did we get to God destroying a lot of people in Egypt and hardening Paro's heart and then the people chasing us after, like, right. this, shouldn't have been more maybe just like, yeah, sure, you can leave. Right, this so. is the greatest destruction, you know what I'm saying? We don't find such destruction, even though we find, you know, destruction described in the land of Egypt, but we certainly don't see a lot of, um, you know, actual death, and except perhaps the plague of the firstborn, but this is, uh, I mean, this is like, you know, movie proportions, you know, I'm sure uh, this is what got, you know, the movie producers thinking about, hey, maybe they should do, you know, some movie about this, which they eventually did, which, you know, I'm sure you've seen the Ten Commandments and the first stab at it. And I'm sure there are other attempts before that. But what is the deal? How do we understand this? Um, how, like I'm saying, how did we get here? You know, what what is um, what is the essence that we're talking about of freedom where where Pharaoh is stuck in this uh, epic battle with the, you know, the people of Israel. And in the end, he just becomes like a some kind of a tool to to exercise God's might. It sounds pretty paganish if you would just take it for granted. In other words, you know, in the in the in the pagan world, you know, Zeus does this and that with his subjects just because he wants to. There's no reason, there's no fairness. It's just rolling of the dice of the gods because they wanna show how powerful they are. You know, that's a very insecure way of looking at uh, the deity, and it's certainly not the way Judaism looks at God. So what is really going on here? Let's let's go back a little bit to some other questions that we were asking before about freedom. And the main question is, I think I want to rephrase it this week, is, is freedom a value? And if it's a value, what is the value? And And what is a value in general? Right? Is freedom in and of itself a value? You know, when I, we mentioned last week that in the story of the Exodus, you don't find um, the, t- the the Torah talking about the value of freedom. It talks about, you know, this pitched battle between the oppressed and the oppressor. It talks about justice, and it talks about exercising justice and the importance of the righting the wrongs of, uh, of, of history. But it doesn't talk about freedom per se. So uh, what do we make of that as well? So what I, the way I'd like to start off um, our discussion today is to couch uh, the the direction we're going to take here in terms of uh, life being a choice between connection and disconnection. I think we all can connect <laughs> to that idea, right? Life is a choice between connection and disconnection. What the Torah calls connection is life and what the torah calls disconnection is death what we mean by connection it means to connect to those things and to those existences and to those realities outside of yourself to actually choose to connect to that which is outside of yourself connection only has to do with connecting with what's outside of yourself well we can go deeper in this perhaps some other week but there is a connection that is needs to be connect that needs to be exercised in yourself as well, but it's only after you've identified different parts of yourself. So when you identify yourself, for example, um, as a body and a soul, your soul being your consciousness, 
So you consciously join together with your body. Um, so then you are creating connection within yourself as well. well. We'll get to that, God willing, some other day. But life is uh, a series of choices that um, if it's towards the choice of life, then it's towards the choice of connection. Um, that's that's uh, number one. Now, how, why am I couch, couching it in these terms? Well, when when we talk about <clears throat> when we talk about um, the how did we get here? When we talk about how did we get here in this story, we're we're really talking about a person, you know, whose name was Pharaoh. He was given a set of choices, and he chose to disconnect himself from the reality that he was being presented. He chose to ignore it. He chose to, let's say, be, let's say we could say he went into denial, right? which is one of the ultimate ways that we disconnect. We just don't want to look at things. We don't want to, even though we hear it, and in some um, level of consciousness, we're aware that there's something there that I need to engage with. I choose to disconnect from it. I choose to ignore it. I choose to downgrade it, maybe make fun of it, right, etc. I, I, we have different reactions to things that we don't want to see and we don't want to uh, connect with for whatever reason. Where, though, in this, in the scene of things, would you say Paro disconnected, though? Well, it seems to me from the beginning, God saying, I will harden his heart. It doesn't seem like there's a... Right. A moment where there's a decision to be like, I'm not dealing with this. Well, it starts really from the beginning. I mean, the first encounter of Moses and Moshe with Paro is when he says, okay, you know, there's this people here that you are persecuting, and I represent the God of justice. And he is the God of all gods. He's the power of all powers. He's the only one. And he is saying, you know, you need to stop this because this is... Uh, and this is unjust, and you need to free people. You can't keep them oppressed. To which he says, there's no conversation. I'm not, he doesn't even deal with what he's being presented, even though we can arguably say that um, in, even in a pagan world, somebody who comes who's somewhat impressive, at least in the, you know, certainly, you know, Moses is an impressive person. Um, he speaks you know, very clearly about something, you know, you, you are very much closed up into yourself if you're not even willing to dialogue at all. He's just into his own power. And the only thing he focuses on at that original stage is like, uh, what, what, what does this guy really want? He just wants to be lazy and he wants to, you know, take out of people that have been subjected to me for generations. And like, you know, you're taking away my property, so get lost. And he pits people, you know, the people against each other. And, he, you know, he does what despots do, which is to, you know, consolidate their own power and make sure that they're, anyone that represents some kind of a, an opposition gets silenced. And ultimately it works in the beginning, like we said a few weeks, two weeks ago. You know, Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu basically disappears for decades until they can mount, you know, a second assault, so to speak, or a second offensive. So... Paro, yes, he digs his own hole. Um, 
which basically means he chooses disconnection. He doesn't want to see anything except what will further his own interests. So he's basically connecting only to himself. He's only interested in himself, mm -hmm. right? So he's not bridging. He's not going from one place to another. He's just staying where he is and consolidating his own uh, power and his own assumptions about the way things are. He's not reaching out of himself at all. So where does that all lead? So this is the fight for freedom. So I, I'd like to just take, just draw ourselves back a little bit from this first opening statement and get back to freedom and then tie it all together in the end. We, we said, I think, yes, last week or the week before that, justice is really the, the me, on the menu of the day. You know, that's, this is what God is really speaking about through Moses. He's saying, you know, there needs to be justice. There's downtrodden people here. What is the deal with freedom? Is freedom a value or is it some kind of a litmus test for another value? So what we're trying to say like this, we're trying to say that freedom in and of itself is not a value. Basically, what what is a value is justice. Justice is important because it allows for freedom. Um, freedom is a litmus test. It's like a gauge to see if the way we're choosing what we for what we call justice is actually just. That's our thesis. That freedom is um, a way of knowing if what I choose is just. And the reason is is the following. First of all, why is freedom related to something good? What what is freedom? So the way we expressed it, I think last week was, a person can be. Uh, curtailed from certain freedoms, but that doesn't necessarily affect the essence of the person, at least at, at first glance. Like we talked about, I think, you know, if somebody says to you, you know, Jews can't um, buy milk in this town. So, okay, it doesn't seem fair, but but we can live on and live happily and live our lives and get along just like many persecuted people, including Jews, have uh, many for, um, for done for many centuries you, you just live to learn and you live to be productive and you adapt and you adapt and you and you thrive right so it's not the curtailing or it's not the the the, the, sh the being um uh limited from particular things right but what's if a person's willing to fight for those freedoms there's something more at stake that has to do with the value of justice and, and what we mean by that is the following Essentially, the, the way the Torah expresses God's creation of man is that God created man in his image and in his uh, likeness. And we understand that to mean that humans are godlike because God invested in humans the ability to have a consciousness and to choose. That's not just like a cute quiche thing. That is the essence of human beings. At the, in the moment that you take, decide to take away or to take a path of the removing of people's ability to choose and their ability to choose those things that are available to them in the greatest amplitude possible, then you're basically going against the, the divine plan of allowing people the freedom of choice. So just like if I would, um, let's say, be God and take away a person's consciousness so that he can't essentially choose anything, just like God himself, so to speak, would limit himself to that. 
um, because he realized, because he's teaching us in the Torah that allowing people the, the choice is giving them their humanity. That is what I am gifting to the human being, the ability to choose. And the reason why God says that he's going to do that is because he wants the human being to live in, as much as possible, right? He's giving them that gift, and he's allowing the human being to choose things, even though God, so to speak, wouldn't want them to choose those paths or those things. He's allowing them to do that. That's the greatest miracle of creation, we understand. So, so too, it, going in and taking God's example, we shouldn't be looking to limit the ability to choose of others. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't be taking away what they can choose in their life to be able to enjoy in the correct way, in the just way, the things that are available to human beings. Any time a person will do that, like in for constructive reasons, like for example, raising children or limiting um, whatever for others for whatever reason, it should be always with the calculation of that I'm limiting now because in the end, I will be, this will be a gift to that person so that the person will be able to really essentially choose freely what is good in this world. That was going to be my my question. I was going to say a lot of the times we find each other limiting in the case of parents for children, um, including institutions, organizations, there's a lot of limiting and a lot of uh, taking away of choice. Um, So you're saying that in order to make that justifiable the the requirement would be that the limiting of choice now breeds higher quality choices later yes that is the that is this recipe of the way the torah expresses itself it says um that real choice is to defend that that which creates more choice so so when we talk about the idea of very often the torah expresses the idea of choose life well, actually, it says that particular phrase only once, but it, it also expresses it a little bit uh, less ac- less precisely in a different place in the Torah. But it says, we our decisions are pitted uh, between choosing life and choosing death. Life being equated to goodness and death being equated to evil. Right? Now, we all know that death is limiting. That's the most limiting. And life is the the least limiting, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea is just like you know, life itself. The word in Hebrew is plural, chayim, because it's a plurality of expression. It's a plurality of of experiences. It's a plurality 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 of choices, right? So the choices are that we don't want to limit the choice just for limiting the choice because. When people limit choice of others without creating a calculus in their mind of I'm limiting the choice because in the end I will be expanding the choice of this person, then the only other option of why they're limiting the choice of the other is just to consolidate their own power. It's because they are afraid that this person might choose X, Y, Z, and that somehow that will infringe on my power and my uh, well-being or my interests, personal, private, selfish interests. Mm-hmm. This is why the most godly thing for God to do is to say, I'm giving you the power to choose, and I'm not going to interfere. That's what makes him God. If God would say, well, I'm going to kind of allow you to choose, but it's kind of like a game, I'm kind of like going to play with you, 
that means that God is worried about his own power and he has to and he has to consolidate his own power so he doesn't really allow people to choose so when you think about it we, choice is so central to the belief in God that it's i mean we can go on over there you know in in that issue but it's it's so essential is that it's that it, it, as the Maimonides puts it anyone who for whatever reason wants to deny the reality of choice is has no part in in the in what is right and wrong in that whole play of what is right and wrong in the world they have to, they really have no part in the torah the torah is about defending what is just and allowing people to choose freely what is just and what is good so 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 it's so essential to the belief in in god and and uh and revelation and torah that it's almost like un, even unspoken is a belief it's not even a belief it just is if it's a belief if it's a belief then you can actually like you know choose something that's totally irrational which is choose to believe that there is no choice i know that there are philosophers who will try to convince you that really there is no choice um but they themselves are choosing to do that so, i mean it's it's kind of ridiculous it's like trying to convince you that you don't exist you know you just there's certain things you can't deal with because there's really no way to prove it it's just something that you know deeply and it's it just is so without getting too deep into the idea of choice and free will i just want to finish this idea that anytime um we talk about freedom we're talking about um trying to imitate the pattern or trying to imitate the example of god in the sense that what is correct and right and true is to allow the maximum range of choice for people now it happens to be that when a person if you see a person who's choosing evil right or if we ourselves are choosing evil we need to be worried that really what's essentially wrong with what we're doing is that the path of evil leads you to less choice in other words in the context of what we're talking about here you can we're, we're describing it that way of course you can choose you can you can explain the idea of choosing evil being evil for other reasons but in the, in its most i think in one of its most essential ways of describing it choosing evil is choosing death which is choosing the end which is choosing limits which is going against god's plan of having people live and if it was possible people would live forever and god would be constantly giving the recipient of his goodness choices forever to constantly choose and choose and grow and grow as a person chooses and chooses they get closer and closer to what is true and correct and good and the person who gets to be an incredible human being as 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 almost as great a human being could possibly get within the framework of him being you know a physical being and that ultimately ultimately is the path of of you know of of the great uh great ones in our history and people that are great in general are are generally speaking doing this taking this path and they aren't they aren't the people who are limiting the, the scope of choice of other people and if they and if they instruct to limit the choice of others it's because they know that 100% sure that by limiting the the scope of choice of this particular person or this child or this group of people it's because they are they just don't see that their choices right now are leading them to less choice they're leading them to like um 
crash against the wall. And we want what we want them to do. Sometimes we'll allow them to crash against the wall if we feel that making their own mistakes will eventually make them more free. But ultimately what we're saying is that the word freedom is, like I said, it's like a gauge to know if what I'm choosing for myself, what I'm choosing for others is correct. Will it offer the greatest range of choice or will it restrict choice for no reason? So I, um, I have a couple of, of questions that in my mind need a bit more clarification. How do we understand then commandments? I'm saying the Torah is, is full of commandments. And if it was just, if it was just uh, God presenting then commandments as this is the, this is the better thing to do. This is goodness. This will enable you to connect more, to see more, to, be more in sync with the spiritual reality of the world, which will essentially create more options for you than amazing. But there's this whole concept of, of uh, reward and punishment. Perfect. This is exactly, that's perfect. That's like, you couldn't have said it better to lead on to our next point. That's, this is the struggle of man, you know, divine revelation that seems to be limiting the choices of man. Right? What does that even mean? So that, as you know, that of course has a lot to do with a person's faith, but ultimately I think what's the p most powerful argument is that, like it, like we quoted before, the Torah itself says that these commands and these what seems to be limits or limitations are actually there to help you choose life. They're there to help you choose life. Ultimately, we all have to realize, you know, as adults, that we can't do everything. No one could live absolutely free. There is no such condition of hum of humankind. We can't live ultimately free because you will eventually start realizing that your whims of today to do whatever it is that you want will eventually create the limits of tomorrow. Understand? If a person says, well, today I want to eat three hamburgers and with hot sauce. Okay, well, tomorrow you'll probably pay the price for that, and then you'll be stuck in bed, which will limit your activity. Right? We're just humans. We're, we're flesh and blood. We have to be smart about what we choose so that what we choose will actually free us to be more free and choosing more and more of the good. The good meaning that which allows us to be free and choose more and more of the good. It's a... So to clarify, divine commandments seem to be the higher, the higher choice that as instinctive humans we don't see. If, if, sometimes, sometimes yes, sometimes not. Because it seems like you're saying, without commandments, without divine uh, instruction from God, we would be living in what maybe we can call complete freedom, which is the ability to do whatever I want, whenever I want, without any sort of imposed limits from anybody else. Um, and without direction and without divine uh, guidance, we would basically be falling prey to our own instincts because we're all human. And then we would basically be living this instinctive life, which is, in essence, very limiting. Right. I mean, look at what happens to children who grow up without any guidance, without any decent parents to be an example for them, to show them the way of how they should live their life. It's a sad situation in general. I mean, you could always come up with, every once in a while, an exception that somehow a person was able to learn the ropes of what's more positive li lifestyle and what's less positive lifestyle. But as a rule of thumb, you're going to have to agree, I believe, that people that grow up without guidance um, 
are completely wild. And when they're completely wild and they have no limits, they end up living a life of, that's of misery in, in the real sense of the word. In other words, just totally limited. No education, no options to explore um, their, their deeper selves, the meaning of the world, the meaning of things, relationships and connection. They're just animals. <laughs> they don't, uh, very often they don't have that ability to even know what's out there. They don't even know what they're missing. Very stuck. Yeah, very stuck. And it's, it's like what brings us back to Paro. I mean, this is the sad, sad story of a person who grew up as a, who knows how he grew up, but he probably grew up in the lap of luxury without being challenged too much about what it means to exercise power over other people. And he just wasn't able, and he, he and I don't want to say he wasn't able, I want to say that he was able in the beginning of the story, but he chose the path of limits, on, of limitation on himself and of ultimately evil. He chose not to see and not to connect. And when he chose that path, he found himself more and more mired in his own uh, his own muck. And the, the, the sad story is, is that as he chooses more and more disconnection, he becomes less and less able to correct it. He becomes less and less able to, to actually free will a different path for himself. That's, that's a hard one, though. Are we saying then that, that when, when you make decisions that create limits for yourself, when you, when, you choose, when you choose evil, death, limits, confinement, whatever um, word you want to say, disconnection, um, it then it, it intrinsically creates a harder path to more dis to more choice afterwards meaning yes once you once you start choosing limitation then then the way out is smaller and smaller i mean let's use a very simple example um other examples will be you know harder to to show but if a person a person knows that they can do things that are not healthy so let's say it's not healthy to drink alcohol in excess right why isn't it healthy well it's bad for your liver you know, you can see in a hundred different medical journals that, you know, in moderation, it's okay. But, you know, if it's not in moderation, then it's actually not healthy. Okay. So let's say a person is normally health conscious, but they kind of like what alcohol does to them. You know, so they like getting in that mood. So instead of like dealing with why it is that they want to escape something, whatever it is that they're escaping through alcohol, they don't deal with it that way. They deal with it th with the alcohol. And eventually the alcohol becomes a crutch to make themselves feel good. And eventually the crutch turns into a way of life. And then the person loses more and more of, of his ability to choose and to get out of that rut. And he becomes an addict. And when he becomes an addict, we all know that he's like Pyro in the sense that he just cannot really choose anything else anymore. His scope of choice is so limited. It's just a question of is he going to have like, you know, 20 liters of alcohol today or 18? You know what I'm saying? Or is he going to even go past what he drank yesterday? You know what I'm saying? It's, it's only, it's so small and it's so unfortunate that, and, and this happens to all of us all the time. 
just on a, you know, perhaps more dramatic, less dramatic scale. But this is life. And this is, that's why this story of Exodus is so, so important, because our original question is, is Paro and his people just like, are they, are they puppets for God, for God showing his might? And no, that is not the way to describe the story. What we do see in the story is the sad, tragic end of what happens to people who choose over and over disconnection. And this is going to be a hard thing to swallow. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with, with the question you were asking before about, you know, the scheme of things, about, you know, the Torah teaching us limits and and what, why are there consequences to those limits if ultimately we're here to choose. And the answer is, is because ultimately when we choose disconnection, let's start like this, like this, a human being is created um, within, a certain, within a certain spiritual reality. Mm-hmm. What I believe, and I think Judaism believes as well. The, the reality is, is that we are um, souls that belong connected to its source. We have the choice to darken that connection to the point where almost we're not conscious of it. But the connection, because connection is life, will always be reestablished. So let me let me explain it to you this way. Let's say I tell a child, look, I'm limiting you to certain things when you're growing up, because when you get older, you're going to be able to connect so much greater to what is available to you in life, and your life will be so much more rich and more enjoyable and more free that this is, even though it's a bitter pill now, but this is for the long run because freedom ultimately is not about the here and now freedom is a, is a bet on the long run, right? It's what a person in the long run. So that same equation is really what the Torah is saying to us. I'm teaching you a life of ultimate freedom that results in ultimate freedom the hard part of it is that sometimes that freedom is not even experienced in this world. This is the hard part of it, right? That's not that evident to people that live here in the here and now, and we don't see the next world. But part of the idea of the Torah is that a person that is connected to a consciousness that we call a soul, that soul will eventually reconnect, even if he lived, even if that person lived a life of disconnection right? because ultimately in order for everything anything that is to last anything that is lasting to have a meaning it must be connected to the source of all life which is god right? so so basically what what the torah is saying is like here in this world you if you're sensitive enough you'll realize that choosing the right thing really gives you choice but even if you don't you should still know that the choosing of the right thing, even if you don't realize why it gives you more choice here in this world, will eventually give you more choice or more amplitude, more of the feeling of life, more connected to life, eternal life in the next world. So that that scheme of things is basically a way of saying things ultimately reconnect, right? If they if if, if something is real, it really ultimately reconnects. Right. So in this world, what happens is like this. Sometimes God, like in the case of Paro, he says, um, you know, this person has just chosen wrong over and over and over again. So God says to Moshe, look, in the end, if this is the way it's going to go, 
this person is going to be forcibly reconnected. He's going to be forcibly reconnected with reality, which ultimately is the path of every time, you know, the way we understand um, the way things go as far as consequences go. The consequences of our actions are really there to help make sure that we reconnect or we maximize our connection. So if a person makes the right decisions, the consequences of those right decisions are more great uh, range of decisions. Consequences. Right? So that's like, you know, Aveira, Gorerit Aveira, Mitzvah, Gorerit Mitzvah, like the Mishnah says. If a person chooses the correct thing, if a person chooses the correct path, that only breeds more options of correct paths and of correct choices, of good choices. If a person takes the path of of doing what is a transgression, evil, limiting, so then the path the paths become limited. So it only leads to more of the same. You see. So ultimately if a person takes that path for too long, they can't just go on, you know, into oblivion. Unless of course there is that idea of like totally destruction, total destruction, but it's not it's not really part of the scheme. The ulti- ultimately, whatever spark or whatever part of that person that is some is connected to his consciousness and to his soul will live on. It will have to see the reconnection. We'll have to live to the reconnection. So sometimes that can happen in this world. And if the person is not fortunate enough to really, you know, connect to that that you know that event or that thing that's happening to him in his life to consciously take that decision to reconnect it's it's the it's the um the the uh decomposing let's say of himself that's the the obstacle for him to reconnect that allows him to reconnect so in other words the destruction of paro and his people is the last straw that god does not want for people but it's ultimately the 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 the, the choice that they've the choices that they've made for themselves that all that only allow one way for themselves to reconnect, which is their own demise. Because we're saying that ultimately, once once physically we die, there is the reconnection of the soul with with the Creator, and that is again going back to connection. I just I'm having I'm having difficulty with the whole concept of someone who does good in this world, but may, for some reason either it's. Uh, uh, attitude, mentality, or inability to see how good choices lead to better choices and a better life, then f- is more free in the next world than someone who maybe does horrible decisions in this world and limits himself and becomes uh, an automatic pilot kind of thing, which we would describe now as as death, right? No, no choices, no no freedom, um, and then also connects afterwards. So so it has to be that freedom is for the here and now. Right, but it's not also connect. It's not the same. In other words, there we we understand that there's life and there's life. And there's life, eternal life, which is like an extension of life that we know in this world. Is what I'm trying to use, what I'm trying to phrase as being like the the ultimate freedom, because a person is then not shackled by their own body and their own needs that the body is constantly you know asking the soul to take care of so it's an infinite spiritual freedom right but it's not the same for everyone that's what our belief is saying now, sometimes people um can reconnect in a way that's very limited 
It's just like just like in the way we can see in, in actual life and on this, you know, in our, in our experience. Sometimes you can reconnect very limitedly. Sometimes you can totally reconnect. I don't understand the limits on a spiritual level. Right, it's hard to explain. This is why people learn mysticism and try to, you know, put these things into some ideas, you know, that you could actually express. But, but it's. I think that before a person does that, um, it's also it's very important to realize that a lot of the these high lofty ideas that we talk about that we have we, we really can't experience today can be somewhat um, symbolized in in our experience. So there are levels of connection, and you can feel that. Sometimes you're totally connected, and sometimes you're like somewhat connected, and sometimes you're disconnected. Right? The more disconnected you are, um, the more you feel just like lost in yourself. No direction, no purpose, no light, no um, reason, no happiness, you know, no potential. Whereas when a person starts reconnecting, they feel the reverse. Now, how deep is that connection? It depends. Depends on how much time and effort you put into it. Depends on how much accumulated time and effort you put into it. So there are different levels of connection that we feel in this world. When, you know, again, this class, well, this episode is not about talking about the afterworld, but it is part of the recipe of what I believe is part of the scheme of freedom that God instilled in man and mankind in the beginning when he said, I'm going to blow in his nostrils, nishmat chayim, the soul of life. And God's soul of life is not extinguished. It just goes through phases. We can't, it's, we, we can't ultimately extinguish it. We can dirty it, we can sully it, we can put it through the ringer in this world, and therefore, certainly in this world, be very limited and live very limited existences, which ultimately limit us in the future as well. Limit us in the future and in the spiritual future of our souls. But again, it, it, this is a very, I, I find that, you know, it's it's an interesting topic to talk about, but we have to also realize our limitations here that, you know, we're getting into, once we talk about the soul and the future of the soul and the eternity of the soul, it's, it's uh, we're, we're getting into waters that are a little bit deeper than I think this podcast is made for. But one thing is for sure, um, the lesson to learn from Pharaoh, from Paro in this uh, Parsha is uh, very, very, very relevant. And also the the point that we're making about freedom is also very relevant. A lot of times we get lost um, in the trees and miss the forest. The idea of freedom is not freedom. It's not just freedom for freedom's sake. Right? Freedom it, for freedom's sakes would be, again, going back to that kind of world in a vacuum where you do and, and whatever you want without any any restrictions and everything's free and available and no one tells me what to do and yay. Right. Freedom. It's freedom that is defined by just, what is just, what is correct, what is good. Again, the concept of good meaning life. What gives life? What are those things in that we can choose that give life? Give life to ourselves, give life to others. And that what we're using today to define the idea of life is what the Torah calls choice, freedom. Right. When when something breeds 
breadth of choice and options and and good options, right? When there are good, a breadth of good options, that is life. And when a lot of life, abundant life, right? A lot, a lot of times, you know, you see a scene and you look at a lush uh, plain a, or a forest or a, and you say, well, it's teeming with life, right? So what, so you were always going to see diversity of life. When you see diversity of life, you see the blessing of life because it's just more of goodness. You can see in the nature of things, you can see like, oh, this butterfly looks like this with these colors and this lizard is like this and there's that type and there's this type and there's this flavor and there's that smell and there's that that's chayim plural right it's just it's just teeming with life and and we as human beings crave that and it's the same of it's just like you know when you're in that lush place which is very often in our in our i guess in our active imagination in our tradition we call it gan eden for a reason like the original garden of eden that Garden of Eden is a place of many choices, of complete bechira, of the ability to choose many good things, right? And and the opposite of that is a desert, a desolation, where it's all about survival, where you're forced into making decisions that just have to do with one thing. How am I going to live now, physically? Where am I going to get water from? Yeah. You see? So that's um, that's how that's how our, our choices affect us, and that's how, what happened to Pharaoh, and that's why we're we're choosing the idea of free will to be the ultimate definition of choice and freedom. So then, just to to create, just to bring that down and into like a logical sequence of things, you would have you would have freedom being something that we exercise with judgment. In order to create more option, more choice. Right. It's a li- the litmus test of whether I'm choosing what is just and correct is: Am I breeding? Am I creating more good choice for others and for myself? Mm-hmm. That's where we um, that's where we employ the idea of freedom. We want freedom. We love freedom because it itself affords us greater and more ample choice to choose good. So freedom then really can only be be used with judgment. You're saying then freedom is attached to a certain morality or understanding right. of what good and evil is. Right, that's what we had said a week ago, I don't remember, or two weeks ago, and that's what we're trying to to expand on. Yeah, that, that concept. So there's a lot to think about. Yeah, was that, I mean... Was that like uh, understandable? Like, how did that, how did that roll? Yeah, it was good. It was good. But there's a lot of deep ideas here that I think the more you process them and listen to them, then the more, uh, the more understanding it creates. But uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. Um, you guys can email us questions if you understood comments, um, other questions that you may have had or been brought up for you. We have a feedback email. It's fdhp.feedback at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We can answer your questions and we can bring it up then on the podcast as well. 
Um, and yeah, let's just <laughs> um, be able to think about this forward and gives us, I think, a, a fresh and a, a fresher understanding when we read these these uh, Bible pieces every week. There's a there's like we're talking about the the exodus of the people, and it kind of sometimes could feel a bit uh, anticlimactic and unrelevant. But we're talking about the the conception of freedom, the uh, when how we understand freedom and how how to use it, and I think it's very practical also to, for now to move forward when we're making decisions. Now I think it would be a, an incredible question to ask ourselves when we make decisions to ask the next the next question, which isn't necessarily just you know what would I like to do now, what would I like to eat now, what would I like to whatever the choice that's right in front of you, but. The follow-up question being, how will this create more choices for me in the future? I think that could be a very powerful question. Um, moving on from this, like a great takeaway. Um, so yeah, let's just call this call this a wrap. <laughs> um, everyone have a lovely weekend and good job. Bye.